The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. The Book of Mark then uh, I don't know what's going on. Or your favorite bookmark, as we're in Mark chapter 10 this morning. And we're going to be looking at one verse this morning, Mark 10, 45. And if you're visiting and you need a Bible, feel free to use those uh, pew Bibles in front of you. Uh, it's page 847 on the pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take one with you. Our gift from us to you as a way to say, uh, uh, just say thank you for coming. You know, uh, someone asked why I'm wearing a suit today. Uh, there's no funeral <laughs> But uh, if we keep going this slow through Mark, it might be my own funeral, so uh, we'll let it be as it is. But you've heard about the joke about the four priests, right? You know, these guys, I just happened to find on Google Photos four priests, so here they are, uh, these four guys. Four priests were at a friendly gathering, and during the conversation, one priest said, Our people come to us all the time and tell us what's wrong with them, so let's do the same for each other. Let's tell each other our sins, right? And in due time, they all agreed. And the first one said he goes to the movies, and he'd sneak away often from church to go see the best hit at the local movie theater. The second one said, well, I smoke cigars. Just don't tell my parishioners because I preach against that all the time. The third one said, well, I play cards, and I drink and dance and goes with girls who do. And the fourth one, when it came to his turn, would not say anything. You've heard this joke, haven't you? Come on now. He looked at him, and he said, Guys, I'm not going to say anything. And they said, well, we've told you our sins. Why don't you tell us yours? And he said, well, my sin is gossiping, and I can hardly wait to get out of here and tell everyone what I found out. So I know. Jeff Jones, wherever you're at, that is for you because you, you love these jokes that I tell from the pulpit. You know, the, that priest may not have been clear about what he was going to do until push, but the verse we're going to see today is that Jesus Christ was absolutely clear about who he was and what he came to do. We are going to be looking at the very mission statement of Jesus, and, and he's ready to tell the world about it. It's finally ready. We're headed to the cross. This is going to be so weird, but in two weeks, we're going to be preaching the triumphal entry in, in the middle of February, so get that ready. But one mission, one purpose Jesus came for, he did not come to serve, but to be, he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And this is the one verse that Mark is written on. You, know, you remember those papers you used to write? You had a thesis statement, and you had to write that one thing down. This is Mark's thesis statement, his purpose, his big idea for the gospel it is. It's why Christ came into the world. And this is our scripture text for this morning, one verse. And it reminds me of Psalm 27, verse 4, and it's familiar to you. Had a lot of psalms today. But Psalm 27, 4, the one thing I ask, Lord, is that of which I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire of his temple. The one verse we're going to look at today is the, the psalmist's prayer answered. Christ has come, and he came to do a specific purpose, and that's what it's all about. And if you've been with us, you know that, that Mark has hinted at this already actually three times. In Mark 8, 31, Jesus told them that he's going to die. And, and the question is, he, he never tells them why. He just says, I'm going to die. Sounds kind of morbid, but he tells them this is coming down. In Mark 9, 31, Jesus tells them the facts, but he doesn't explain why it's going to happen. 
Don't you hate when people do that? Here's what's going to happen, but, but why? But tell me why. And then finally, just a few weeks ago, in Mark 10:33, and this was on a snow day. We did this on Facebook. It's online if you want to hear it. But he told them not only the historical facts, but he told them a little bit more of the spiritual meaning. But today, Jesus opens the purpose of why he came, the one reason he came. And that's what we're here to speak about today. He's going to tell us why he must suffer, why he must be rejected, why he must be given over to men, be mocked and spit at, and, and all those things. And friends, be very clear on this. Jesus is taken in so many directions today, is he not? Jesus is your lover. Jesus is your homeboy. Jesus is your best friend. Jesus is all sorts of things. But this verse in Mark makes it very clear what he came to do. And our big idea today, and if you're visiting, our big idea is just kind of the rifle shot of what we do in the sermon. But the big idea today is this, that Jesus was born so that we would be born again. And he came that we would go to heaven. He became like us that we would become him. And here's the key phrase, we need to own our own helplessness. Because without Christ, we are nothing, right? Without Christ, we have nothing at all. And so church, as we come, I want to just remind you that Jesus did not, I mean, I, we have several government workers in our church. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came to solve every government shutdown? <laughs> Come on, you can laugh at that for a minute, guys. It's ridiculous, but here we are. He came to forgive sins. Jesus did not come with a sword in his hands. He came with nails in his hands. Jesus did not come to tell us the answers to life's questions. He came to be the answer to our life's questions. He didn't come to accrue power. He came to give it up at the cross. And that version of Jesus is one that we all need because Jesus came not because things in your life need to change. He came because things in your heart need to change, and for that, he died on that cross for you and for me. And that's why he came. Three things this morning quickly as we'll go through. We're going to pull these out of the verse, and, and uh, it might be a stretch on some, but praise the Lord, we're Baptists. We have to have three points. Amen? So it is what it is. Three things this morning, three aspects of why Jesus came to save us. We're going to look at the sovereignty of Christ. He's the Son of Man. Then we're going to look at his submission. He came to serve, not to be served, but to serve. And then finally, probably the meat of it all, the sacrifice of Christ. He came to give his life a ransom for many. And it's been a, a little while, a few weeks, but remind ourselves that we are coming off some of the greatest verses that Jesus came to say. He didn't come. He didn't come to lord over us, though he is Lord. He came to serve us, and he called us to that in the last sermon, the last section. But today, he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That is our whole purpose. So why don't you stand again, and we will stand up one more time as we do, all right? And read God's word as we come together this morning. One verse, guys, one verse. We're going to read it twice. This will be out of the ESV, same as the Pew Bibles, as we go forward here. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus physically has been walking up the hills to Jerusalem as he gets ready to enter into Jerusalem. And, and just like that physical thing, now we are going on the downhill of his mission. He's going into the finish line. This is what it's all about. And in the coming months, all the way through November, amen, 
we're going to go through this book. And you smile all the way to the bank. Because in Thanksgiving, you can thank God that we got through the book of Mark, right? And that'll be what it is. Will you pray with me this morning as we start off and, and study today? God, thank you so much. We know so well, Lord, that you are in charge and in control. As we study the scripture, as we try to milk it for all it's worth, Lord, as, as your scripture allows us to do. Father, may it be for your glory, may it be for your presence. Father, speak to situations in this room, speak to family members who are struggling, speak to marriages on the rocks, speak to those who seem to have no worry or care in the world because you're their God. Father, wherever we are, thank you that your word speaks. Thank you that it's not just for a few people, this is for all of us. And Father, I'm unworthy to speak this because I know so often I'm not going to live the words that I speak. Father, thank you for where there is weakness, there is much grace. Father, even in failure, thank you so much. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You may be seated, guys. Well, I'm going to have you hold your spot there in, in, in Mark chapter 10, but I also want you to, and I'm going to, I'll give you some time to, to mark your way over there, but I also want you to find your way and hold your spot in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. It's okay to use the index. It's okay to look in the table of contents if it's been a while. But I want to really speak to this first point, the sovereignty of Christ. We've hit around this so much in the last few months about the Son of Man and what that is. And I've referenced this so often. I thought it appropriate to go and look at what it means to be the sovereign Christ and the Son of Man. He came as the Son of Man, and that is his title, this Christ. And he, he would come in the Spirit of God, and, and basically from here on out, He's going to use this phrase, but I want you to see the prophecy Jesus is fulfilling as he says those words in Mark 10, 45. So I'm going to start, and Amy, you can go ahead and throw it up if you will. Daniel 7, verse 9. I'm going to read from my notes here as well. Daniel 7, 9 says, and this is Daniel's prayer. Uh, he's praying, and he sees a vision, and there's four kingdoms that he, he sees, four Gentile kingdoms that will dominate the earth. And as he looked in verse 9, Daniel 7, 9, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was as white as snow, and his hair and his head were like pure wool, and his throne was a fiery flame, like burning, like its wheels were burning fire. I want you to know that as Jesus claims this title, the sovereignty of Christ, Daniel 7, 9, what he's, he's claiming is something that was prophesied hundreds of years before he made that claim. You'll see it on the screen. But the God, the Father here, is represented as the Ancient of Days. He's the first, the last, the Alpha, and the Omega. And God the Father is, in a sense, pictured as taking his seat. And if you've ever been in a courtroom before, hopefully you've just watched Judge Judy and not the other way around, but if you've ever been in a courtroom before, they say, all rise, for the judge is coming. And then they have you be seated when that judge or judges are, are, are there. So he took his seat. It shows his authority. And you see that this ancient of days, God the Father, his hair is white as snow. His holiness, his perfection, speaks of his wisdom. His head was like wool. And his throne had fiery flames around it. It's a righteous judgment. And there's those wheels. If you've ever read Ezekiel before, you get to the wheel part, you're like, what in the world is going on with that guy? And, and this is the throne of God setting up all the operations of the world. And go down to verse 10 and also be on the screen. In Daniel 7.10, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him, this ancient of days. And a thousand on a thousand served him, and ten thousands and ten thousands stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. 
the Son of Man was coming, and the stream of fire was coming out, God's glory, and there were thousands on thousands on thousands. Don't you love that old question, how many, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? It's kind of like the question, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a lollipop? Who knows and who cares? Just enjoy the journey, right? Thousands on thousands were attending him. They were waiting for his orders to be dispatched, and they stood before him in awe and in reverence of God the Father, the Ancient of Days. They, you get this mighty triumphal picture. And then they sat, courtesan section, session, and, and the records of every man were opened up. And then verse 11 comes, and Daniel sees this. He says, I looked, and then because of the sound of great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed. And its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Daniel now begins to squint in his vision. And as he squints, he's riveted to see what's happening before him. It's amazing. And there's a sound of a great horn that's coming. It's probably the reference to the Roman Empire. But the beast was killed. The Roman Empire was done. So where does Jesus come into that? We're getting there. Hold on. Go to verse 12. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, and their lives were prolonged for a season of time. Daniel seized four kingdoms, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the, and the Romans. And God gave them rule for a time. It looked like they were going to be the solution to all life's problems. But their lives were only for a season. A great reminder that our days are numbered, aren't they? And for some, it's more. We just celebrated someone's 80th birthday last week. Oh, he's going to get me next week again. I'm not going to say who that guy is. He said to watch my back this week, so I'm, I'm watching my back every time I know he's in the building, just so you know. Don, I love you, brother. <laughs> but these kingdoms are faltering, aren't they? And then, verse 13, Daniel 7, 13, it'll be on the screen. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. This is not one of these random earthly kingdoms. This is someone else. This is something else. Who is this? It's like a man, like one born of a virgin, born like us. He came up to the Ancient of Days in the presence of all these angels. And as he does this, he's presented before him. I, it's been several years. Golly, it's been seven years ago. But in 2012, when Princess Kate and Princess William got married, be honest, how many of y'all watch that on TV? Tina? No, really? That's a, Three hands went up. I watched it because we were at work and that's all they had on. But it is what it is. But I remember just watching this royal wedding and just the pomp and the circumstance and everything that came with it. Take that and, and magnify it a thousand times with what's happening here. And the Son of Man was presented before. And the God upon his throne on fire is, is, is now seeing the Son of Man. And he's pre officially presented before the court. Who is this guy? Who is he? Go to verse 14. And then to him was the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not pass be destroyed. This is talking about the United States of America, right? This is talking about the USSR. This is talking about fill-in-the-blank kingdom, isn't it? Guys, this is talking about the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, in all His glory, ruling over everything. 
R.C. Sproul said it best when he said, there is no maverick molecule in all the earth. This Jesus is bringing a kingdom of salvation, of providence. He's ordering all the affairs of the world, and there's a celebration happening. All peoples, every ethnic group, every geopolitical group, every LGBT, RCDC, whatever you got out there, they all bow before him. What an awesome God. The Son of Man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. He doesn't get voted out. He doesn't get impeached. He doesn't get written off. He is in office forever because he's the only one who can hold that office. He won't pass away. He's King of kings and Lord of lords, and we exist to serve him. Who is the Son of Man? Daniel is seeing Jesus come after he has been dead, he's been buried, and he ascends back up to heaven. Church, the sovereignty of Christ. What an awesome God. This is our God, the sovereignty of God. All authority, Matthew 28, of heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said. So why, why does he refer to himself this way? He refers to himself this way because this is his title. This is who he is. This is who's in charge. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says it this way. It'll be up on the screen. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, that's Christ, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, some knees might bow, some people might come. No, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even those people in your life who you've brought the gospel to them a million times over, and they still act like they're Fort Knox in their hearts. Even those people who say, I don't believe there's a God. That could never happen. I'm an atheist and I don't care. Give me what's coming. I'm okay with it. Even those people will bow at this God who has come, the Son of Man. Guys, I want to remind you today, and I, this is, I think, a practical takeaway. There's no drama of life that you will find yourself in that is outside the sovereign administration of your King, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus was walking to Jerusalem as he was, he knew what was coming. Don't, don't think that he's second-guessing this. Don't think he's, he knows. He gets it. He's, he's well aware of what's happening. But there's nothing that is ever in your life that will ever be outside of what God has for you. Even bad stuff. You know, and I've said it before, but you need to hear it often, that phrase that God won't give you more than you can handle. You know what? God's going to load you up with more than you can handle. In an earthly sense, he's like that coach who made you run suicides until you just, you, you just let it loose, right? I don't have to fill in that blank. He's going to load you up with so much in your life that the only thing you can trust in is him alone. And church, he's going to do that to us as a church as well. He's going to bring thing after thing after thing after thing on us and our shoulders. And we're going to say, well, how do we plan on this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? I don't know, but our Christ knows. Don't believe the Hallmark card theology that says God will never give you more than you can handle. He, that, whoever wrote that's never talked to a real living person, right? Because a real living person knows that is not the case. But you don't have to load the world on your shoulders because Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, and Daniel, even the Son of Man has come, is the one who holds it all on his shoulders. He's got the whole world. I'm not even going to try and fill this one in today. You fill in the rest. In his hands, he's, he's got more than that. 
He's got every molecule, every atom, everything in his hands. Guys, think about this for a second. And, and, and Dave, I, I harked on this a couple weeks ago. Dave asked me a year ago to solve this debate, you know, is, is God this way or this? Look, if there is a God, if you believe that God does not know all things, then you could be called an atheist. Do you know why? Because if God knows all things, he has to carry out all things. If he doesn't, he's not God. So if we say, God, you're not, well, you, you don't really have control over this, 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 or this, or this, or this, or this. Then what you're basically saying is God is not God. And if God is not God, then, guys, you have a lot of drama in your life. But if God is God, you still have drama, but he's with you all the way. Amen? And that's what we know. Second point, he's not only the sovereign God, even the son of man, but I want you to know as well that he is the one who came to submit himself for us. Look back, uh, turn back to Mark 10 as you go back. But, but the Son of Man, the one who came, he came not to be served, but to serve. Doesn't that just sound crazy? I mean, in our world today, you can, I mean, this is true stuff. Uh, I'm on Facebook a lot because I think it's a good way to, to share the gospel. It's a good way to represent Christ, good through the bad. But there are, th- there are ads that come up on my Facebook feed sometimes that says, hey, you want 1,000 followers on your Facebook page? Pay us $100, and we will get people to come like your page. That's kind of like having a party and paying people to show up for it, right? That's not good. But this God that we have did not say, hey, guys, here I am. Come serve me. Come serve me. He does in some sense, but before we can serve him, he had to go to the cross and submit himself to serve for our salvation. Jesus didn't say, hey, if I pay you $1,000, will you come and follow me? Hey, if I give you all the financial blessings you want, I give you the house you want, will you come follow me? He said, no, count the cost, take it up, and follow me. He submitted himself. It's crazy to think, isn't it? I mean, this God that we just read about came down to us to be served but yet serve us? How in the world does that work? He came to humble himself. He is the Son of God who came in the flesh. He was the one born of a virgin, born according to the lineage of those rascally rascals, Abraham, Isaac, David, Jacob, born in Bethlehem, born under the law, that he might get into our skin. He might enter into our race He might come under the yoke of the law, and he might with us put his arms around us and lift us up. This is why if you believe God is sovereign and in control, as we looked at number one, you also have to believe that that we are totally dead in our sin, aren't we? There's nothing we can do. There's not a spark or a flame like we talked about last week. And this is why Philippians 2.6, and it will be on the screen, says this. Philippians 2.6-8. Jesus, although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Guys, don't you love that? How many leaders today, outside the, if, the fo- if the photos were gone, would actually go and serve and do things? You ever thought about that? I mean, come on, most of the times when, when natural disasters happen in things, if the cameras aren't clicking, are they really serving? No, the no. Whoever said that? Jackson? Jackson? Jackson told me last night he's going to be a spy ninja, and i got to watch my back. So now i got to worry about Don and Jackson, so it's all good. 
They don't care, do they? But you know what? This Son of God, the Son of Man came to serve us even when we didn't deserve it. You know this. But this is the submission of Christ. But yet when it comes to our marriages and our lives, we look at the other person and say, you don't meet my standards and I'm not going to serve you. There's nothing you can give me in return, therefore I'm not going to help you. But Jesus never said that. There's nothing we can give him. We're dead in our sin. We are dead. Like a guy in a funeral casket back there who can't get up. You can speak in French, Swahili, and, and, and emojis, and he's still not going to come up. He's dead. But with Christ, as he submitted himself, he came not only to be served by us, but first he had to serve us by taking on human flesh. Now let's remind ourselves that Jesus had a body. He, had a, uh, he was subject to limits of human living. He was hungered. He was tempted. He wept. He grew thirsty. But even as he came in this limited form, he came not to be king over the earth at first, but he took on the form of the common slave. Church, in an act of outrageous rebellion, Adam and Eve tried for God's place. But in an act of shocking submission, Jesus dies in our place. There's one word for that. It is grace. That's what it is. It's grace. That's all it is. Do you understand this is why, as a church, we need to be so vigilant against false gospels? Gospels that say, man, you're not really that bad. Or, man, you might have a chance to get to heaven if you just did this, this, or this. It is Christ who submitted himself, or it's nothing. It is Christ or nothing. No one ever started so low, and no one ever emptied himself so low as this one Jesus Christ. He who was rich became poor, so we who are poor might become rich. And he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so we might be the righteousness of God. We have all we need, folks. And it's not the next best and greatest thing. It is found in Christ himself. Number three, Christ came as the sovereign king. He came to submit himself. This is where I want to spend the rest of our time. I want you to see the sacrifice of Christ. Did you see what he said at the end? Mark 10, 45. He was very clear on this. He said that he came not to, serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, so many people say, well, if God is a loving God, then why would he not just save everybody? I mean, if he loved everyone, I mean, wouldn't he just save everyone? Doesn't that just make the most sense? I mean, if I'm in a, you know, you get these scenarios, someone asks you, if I'm in a boat and I'm drowning, but I have the ability to press a button and save everybody, well, I'm going to press that button and save everyone, Pastor. That's just what I'm going to do. Well, Jesus came and gave his life for us, but friends, you know as well as I do, there are people who will reject that message. But there are five truths about giving his life I want you to see this morning. Five truths. We're going to work our way through these phrase by phrase. But I want you to know he gave his life as a ransom, and he did so at his own cost. First thing I want you to see about the sacrifice is it was voluntary. It was a voluntary sacrifice. Did you notice that phrase? He, he gave his life. It didn't say someone took, a, took a, a, you know, something to his neck and said, if you don't do this, your family's going to die like a hostage situation. No, his blood was not spilt. It was poured out. His death was not an accident. It was atonement for us. Jesus was not a victim on the cross, but a victor who gave himself up for us on a cross. Jesus knew, guys, the job description was to suffer and die, and he was willing to do that for God's glory and our 
What an awesome God. So many often times we say, you know, if, if, if he would have just talked to the Romans or if he just would have stepped away for a little bit like he did in Mark, Pastor, maybe he wouldn't have had to die. Friends, he would have had to have died anyway. Our sin is so great, isn't it, that the only thing that could save us is Jesus Christ. An angel can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. Even Patrick Mahomes can't do it for crying out loud. What we know is that there is one uniquely qualified one, and that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.4, he gave himself for our sins. Galatians 2.20, he gave himself up for us. 1 Timothy 2.5, the man Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom. Hebrews 7.27, he offered up himself. Hebrews 9.14, he offered up himself without blemish to God. And then John 19.30, it is finished. Not he is finished, but it is finished. Guys, how much he loves us and how voluntary it was. What an awesome God to come and do it. That he gave his life for us and how committed he was to our salvation and how fixed he was to give himself for us. Christian, if you're struggling this morning to know how much God loves you, he's loved you the same from eternity past until now and forevermore. It will never change. Not based on your performance. Some of you, when you wake up in the morning and you have a good day, everything's clicking, you got out the door on time, your coffee wasn't too hot, you got your, your work stuff ready, you know, life is clicking and, and you get to share the gospel, you get to pray with someone, you read your Bible, you check that box, and man, life is good, and you go home and you think, wow, God, you're awesome, what an awesome day. And then the next day, the power doesn't turn on, your phone doesn't work, you wake up late, your coffee doesn't even, you don't even have coffee, you're not even sure your car is going to start, you somehow get to work, thank God for Uber, and all those things, and you get there and you miss an opportunity to share the gospel, you don't read your Bible, and you go home and say, God, I failed you today. That is idolatry of self. That's a performance that you just did. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ. Whether you blew it that day or you had the best day of your life, it's not you that did it. It was the voluntary sacrifice of Christ who said, I died for you, find your identity in me. And that's a huge difference. And Jesus did that for us voluntarily. Second thing he did, the sacrifice was not only voluntary, it was valuable. Look at, look at what he says there in verse 45. It's a ransom. It's a ransom. It was the greatest price ever paid. Of course, a ransom is, is something you pay to liberate someone. Um, if you've ever, uh, you know, if you've had your car impounded before, you had to ransom it from uh, those uh, guys who towed it. Uh, you've probably been there before. You paid the price for the release of your car. But in the death of Christ, there was a financial transaction, if you will. The, it was a precise offer. An object was secured. It was our salvation. It was the death of Christ. He bought us with his blood, the most valuable sacrifice and purchase secured. But to whom was this paid? I mean, I mean, did Satan have a say in this? There's an old quote, and I put it on Facebook, and Nelson and I are going to debate this someday because it's a good quote. But there's a, there's a quote out there by an old Baptist guy that says that, that God voted for you, Jesus voted against you, and now it's up to you. How should we take that? Guys, we just saw that Jesus is sovereign, right? There's no equal like him. But so often we make Satan much more than he is, and he loves that. He loves that. Look, Satan is not the one that the ransom was paid to. 
To whom was the ransom paid? Satan is not the one. God's wrath must be satisfied, not Satan's. Satan is created. He's tricky. He's very tricky. He, but God's holiness and via, was violated, not Satan's. God's justice was demanded, not Satan's. Christ did not go to the negotiating table with Satan and be like, look, dude, I died. Now you've got to give me up their souls. It's not how this works. Christian, that's why you have the power through Christ's name over Satan and his minions, whatever that means in your life. I love haunted house shows. Can I tell you a little obsession? I love watching these shows where they turn out the lights and they get on their night vision and they see bumps go in the night. Ghost hunters. Yeah, ghost adventurers or whatever. It's really weird. And look, there are real demons, and we need to be aware of that. But those demons have no authority over you because the sovereign king submitted himself and gave himself a sacrifice, and that was so valuable and voluntary, Satan has nothing on you, Christian. And that should be the greatest encouragement for you. Christ did not negotiate with anyone. Christ does not negotiate with terrorists, and Satan is the worst of them all. Amen? If Christ paid the ransom of payment to get out of his hands, us, then who's the victor? Satan is. If he can get the ransom, he wins. If the ransom was paid to Satan, then the devil laughed all the way to the bank. Ransom was not paid to Satan. Ransom was paid at the cross by the sovereign, submitted Son of God to the God the Father in heaven. Don't give Satan more than he's worth. He's going down with the rest of everyone who rejects Jesus Christ. Every knee shall bow, including Satan himself. Thirdly, this sacrifice was vicarious. I'm going to use a big word here. It was in the place of, instead of, Christ died for us in our place. We deserved it, but he died for us. Did you notice that phrase, for? Don't miss that preposition. I know, I hated English grammar too, but just bear with me for two minutes, all right? The word for. Here is the substitutionary death of Christ in a short little word. The essence of man is that man substitutes himself for God, but the essence of salvation is that God substituted himself for us. That's what it's about. Don't miss that distinction. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says he died for our sins. Galatians 1.4, he died for our sins. And then in verse uh, Isaiah 53.4, he will bear our sins. Jesus stood in our place. He was nailed for us. He bore our sins for us. He made atonement for us. He appeased God's wrath for us. He redeemed us under the curse of the law. What an awesome God we serve, guys. I got to hurry. Number four, his death was not only voluntary, he did it himself. It was valuable. It was vicarious. It was in our place, but it was vast. Many of you have been waiting for this all the time. Is Darren going to come up Arminian or Calvinistic on this verse? So, well, let's just get right down to it. You ready? Jesus died for who? Well, who does it say he died for? It says he died for many. So what does this mean? It means that every nation is precious to Jesus Christ. He lived and died to redeem a bride from every race, tribe, tongue, language, and nation. No exceptions. Uh, you remember that story of that young man, it's, it's almost been two months ago, the young man who went up to the uh, islands off the coast of India. You remember the story around Thanksgiving time? You may remember he, he rode in there and he, got, he, he, was, he was hit by arrows, presumably, and died. And they buried his body. I don't know whatever happened with that. But that young man had the truth right. 
he knew that God was going to redeem the Sintelese people somehow, some way, even if they were a closed nation. He wanted to get the gospel to those people because he believed God's promise. That's why we've sent out eight people in the last four years to go to the nations because we believe it's not just for a small group of people or an isolated group of people, but it's for every ethnicity, every gender, every sports team that people like, as silly as that may sound, every age, every class, that the vastness is so large of the people that will be in heaven that in John, in Revelation, he can't even describe it. So, Darren, are you saying that he died for the elect or he died for all? He died for all those who repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who he died for. If God is working in your heart and you have turned away from your sin, that is a gift of God. That's what we know. What a grace that is. If you're a Christian, thank God for that every single day. Last thing I'll say is this, is that his death was victorious. His death was victorious. Look at the very end there. He died for a ransom for many. We know that this death is not in vain. We know that the death of Jesus cost God the Father everything when he sent his son who left his glory, but we know it was victorious. One of the greatest questions that as pastors we get, and those in the ministry who've been in the ministry, you know this, deacons even, how do I know if I'm really saved? I mean, really. I mean, how do I know that once in my life that I came to know Jesus Christ? That's a great question. And you should, if you're a Christian, you honestly, if you're asking that question, that's a good sign that there's a heartbeat in there that Jesus has saved you. That's great. But one of the greatest reminders that we know that you're a Christian is how you take the the death of Christ. Do you try to substitute something for Jesus in your life to take it over? Or is your everything, like when you fall out of a plane, you're just trusting that parachute to carry you on? And the same way with Christ. How do you know you're a Christian? You know because you repented and believed in Christ. You know because even though you're a Christian, you've never graduated out of that simple phrase, the Bi- Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Because you have to go back to that constantly, constantly, constantly. Because you know what? We fail constantly and constantly and constantly, don't we? But praise God. Praise God, he's not like the AOC championship playoffs. Can you tell him a bitter fan? Amen. Jesus is not one and done with you, friend. If your sin has caused you to lack fellowship with God this week, then may you be reminded that you have a Savior whose blood has not run dry. You have a Savior that no matter what you bring to him is able to take it. That's great news, church. That's great news for all of us. Because guess what? Husband, you haven't loved your wife like you should have loved her this week. Guess what? Wife, you haven't loved your husband like you should have this week. Guess what, kids? You, well, you've obeyed your parents all the time this week. We know, right? We know that's not true. But we do know that Jesus is not the type of king that conquers by shedding the blood of his enemies. He's the type of king who conquers by shedding his own blood for his enemies. And that will be up on the screen. That is our God. If there is something in your life that you have as a besetting sin, I, I just urge you today that, that at the cross, there's not a magic formula. It's not, there may be in your life that God has cut something off, and praise God for those times when he cuts off a sin, and that is what it is. But often you will struggle with the same sin for a, for a long time. But I can tell you, if that is you and you're struggling, that God's grace is enough for you. 
Church, as we look at issues as our church and we go forward and we talk and we pray and we discuss through things, we are gonna we're, we might biff up every now and then, but praise God, even for the church, there is forgiveness. Amen? And as we look forward to all the things that God has, whatever that is, we have to remember that not a cent of the ransom was wasted. Jesus was not shortchanged. His death was victorious, and he is the only Lord. Tower View Baptist Church. That's it. We have the greatest God Look, I don't know what's going to happen to our nation in 30 years. Don, you'll be 110, praise the Lord, and you're still going to be, well, I'm still going to be looking over my back. I don't know what God has for this nation, but uh, Richard, if I can pick on a couple of people, I picked on a lot of people. They, Rick, Brother Richard and I were talking before service just about, you know, how, how so many Christians, if we just stood up with one voice and lived for Christ, we want to see this nation change. May it start with us. Guys, we won the victory. We don't care who's in the White House, who's in the, who's in the press house, who's in the whatever. We have the sovereign, submitted, sacrificial king as our king. And that is enough to change your neighborhood, your family, your life, your spouse's life, the world with that gospel. That is how awesome our God is. We did not sing this today. I love this old hymn, Charles Wesley. We'd probably disagree on finer points of theology but I love this old hymn. Tina, I thought of you because I think we did this a few weeks back. It's And Can It Be. This old song, if you don't know it, I just put up a verse here. I know many of you know the song. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me whom death to, to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be? Here comes that old King James English. You ready? That thou, my God, just die for me. Christian, if you've ever gotten over the gospel, then you've graduated into ranks that God never wanted you to graduate in. There's one takeaway today. Own your own helplessness today. You need the gospel in your life from the moment you wake up to the moment you sleep because you need to be reminded that no matter what day you're facing, Christ has won the victory. He is the sovereign king, and he's submitted. Now go and serve him with all the strength he's given. That is the God that we have. Let's pray as we close out this morning. Father God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much that we have everything that we need. Lord, this verse is, uh, from a preacher's standpoint, is very straightforward because it's so easy to see everything that you have done for us in Christ. Father, thank you that there's nothing we can do, nothing we can say, if we truly be in you, that can ever separate us from your love. Lord, we know that Christ is sufficient. We know that Christ is able. Father, as we go forward as a church and you give us wisdom in such matters, Lord, would you help us to see that no matter what we plan, no matter what we do, if we lose the simple message, we've lost all the power. Father, the power is in the gospel, in Christ crucified, risen from the dead. Lord, thank you so much. As we gather and sing these last couple songs, Lord, would you be lifted high, would you be glorified. We pray these things today in Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Before we get started, would you just join us in standing? And if you're here to, uh, if you'd like to pray, this front is open to you. If you'd like to come forward, this time is open to you as well. Guys, we love you so much, but ask, Lord, what is it that you would have me do with the simple message of the gospel this week in my life? Let's sing together.